Welcome to Mindset for Medical Moms. I'm your host, Courtney Given, fellow medical mom and life coach. I'm here to help you handle everything from doctor's appointments to surgery so you can feel confidence and peace as you navigate the ups and downs of medical motherhood. This podcast will share strategies and real life tools to strengthen your mindset and increase your emotional resilience. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Hello, beautiful medical moms. Today we are picking back up from last week with Fear of the Unknown, part two. If you haven't listened to part one, start there um, and then come back here afterwards. These two podcasts are essentially a masterclass in understanding the fear of the unknown. And I could have done a workshop on this, but it would literally have been like three hours to, and I just feel like exploring all these things really helps you feel more confident in understanding what fear is and how to navigate it. So let's just dive right in, pick up right where we left off, and start with the next statement on the scale of intolerance of uncertainty. So on that scale, there were five statements that psychologists can use to um, determine how intolerant you are of uncertainty and it's like a lactose intolerance like oh how lactose intolerant are you and while it's not a very like um it's still subjective because it's um qualitative however i do think that it is a good way to check in with yourself and so that's why i liked navigating the scale because if you remember from last week, all of the statements in the scale of intolerance of uncertainty, they're all thoughts. So a statement is just an opinion or a fact or a sentence made of words and none of them were facts, right? They're all just your thoughts about you. And So the next one that we left off on was the thought, I should be able to organize everything in advance. And this thought is so fascinating to me. This is another way of your brain trying to be prepared for every possible outcome that comes your way. Because if you're able to organize everything in advance, there will be no surprises, which means no freakouts, no more stress, you avoid feeling any negative emotion. Do you see how your brain works so hard at trying to get you to avoid negative feelings? And it's so interesting because you're still feeling negative emotions. Your brain is weighing like what you think is going to be worse and anything outside of that comfort zone, anything in that uh space that's considered uncertain, your brain's going to be like, uncertainty is unsafe. So therefore, the negative feelings we would feel in the future are worse than the negative feelings that we'd feel now because we're used to feeling panic. We're used to feeling anxiety. We're used to feeling these ones now. So it's okay to feel those now and not feel them in the future. We're trying to avoid them. But you're going to feel them either way. Like there's no difference between feeling the anxiety now and feeling the anxiety in the future if something went wrong with your plan or there was no organization around a factor that you hadn't thought of before. So if we think of it that way, 
if it doesn't really matter now or in the future, you're still feeling the same emotion. It might be different circumstances, but you're still feeling the same emotion. You could use that energy that it takes to avoid those future feelings while still feeling the current feelings to allow yourself to actually just feel your feelings now. Instead of trying to avoid not being organized in advance or feeling really stressed about organizing everything in, the, in advance for the future, you could pause and we just figure out what does you, your body and your brain need now. And I think this is a better use of your time, personally. Um, because never in my life or any of my clients' experiences has someone been able to organize everything in advance. <laughs> in reality, there's always hiccups. There's always something. There's always something you can't predict. There's always something that we just didn't know that we didn't know. There's um, just always something in the future that we've never been experienced before um, in a certain way right? It's not that you can't be prepared or proactive. And in fact, I think this is an important part of the process. Listing out all potential things that could happen that are in your control to take care of and figuring out solution for those things is super kind to your future self. But my friends, you are not able to control everything that your brain tries to plan ahead for. That's where this all gets pretty dicey is because your brain thinks that you should be able to control everything and therefore organize for everything. And that's just simply impossible. It makes you believe that if you aren't doing those things, then something's wrong with you, that you should feel guilty or shamed for not trying to control all of the outcomes that are even outside of your control. Believing you should be able to do something like this and not being able to do it puts yourself in a very painful position, right? We get that shame and blame and there's a belief under that shame and blame that believes that you should be able to change your circumstances at some level and that you are failing to do it. So this cognitive dissonance that you're experiencing when your brain is like, Let's plan ahead and organize everything in advance. And your brain might use different words than these. But for the lack for the podcast and simplicity, I'll just use the statement words for this one. If you are feeling like you should be able to understand everything that possibly could happen in the future and then prepare that, prepare for that so that you could either prevent it or make it less stressful or avoid a negative outcome regarding it. And then your brain is like, you should be able to control this. You should be able to change this, even if that thought is not even founded in reality, because we just know that's logically not true. And it doesn't matter if we know that it's logically not true, because our brain, clients say to me this all the time, and I'm like, I understand that, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> They're like, I know this is logically not true, but I'm like, okay, but so, it doesn't really matter if you understand it's logically not true. Even if you're, st if that but is coming up, if you're like, but you don't, it doesn't, act, you don't actually believe what you know to be logical, right? You're not giving yourself permission to 
look at it logically. You're still in that emotional response, which is totally fine, not judgmental at all about that. That's what brains do. But it doesn't matter if you understand what's logical and grounded in reality or not, because if you're still feeling the way you're feeling, then that's where we need our focus. Don't try to shame and blame yourself for being like, I just, I know it's not logical. Who cares? It doesn't matter, right? Let's just focus for what the issue is. And it is that blame and shame you have on yourself when your brain tells you that you should be able to change a circumstance and that you're failing to do it. And so there's that, okay, if you see your child getting sicker or if there's a complicated issue or an infection or maybe they are coming in for an appointment that was supposed to be fine and all of a sudden they're getting admitted to the hospital and your brain is like, you should have been able to plan ahead for this. You should have caught those symptoms. You should have caught the signs. Even if your doctor says, yeah, there were no physical indications. There were no signs outwardly, externally. Like no one could have predicted this. Even with that information, I've had clients be like, yeah, it's still my fault. And I'm like, how are you supposed to have x-ray vision and like an MRI machine in the backyard? Like what is going on in your brain? And it doesn't matter even if they understand, like, I know logically I didn't catch it and that's fine, but internally I still feel that. And it always comes back to your thoughts about what you're believing. And it could be this belief that you should have been able to organize things in advance, aka predict the future in every possible circumstance. And this is an added layer of shame that motivates you in a not so great way to figure out ways you can predict or change the future. And this is problematic because you're motivating yourself to act through the belief of you're the problem. Like that's the thought that's coming through you. Of course, we have tons of thoughts in any given situation. It's not like one thought per day. But when we whittle it down to a single thought, we're able to see how that plays out in the think, feel, do method. So if you're thinking I'm the problem in this big scenario, um, along with the fact that you, I should believe, or I should be able to predict the future and you're not, it just comes down to that you're the issue. And I'm sorry, my friend, but that's not true. You are not the (laughs) anti-hero. You are not the problem. The reality is that as medical moms, you are facing very difficult things very difficult things. And it's hard to describe because I think the problem within medical motherhood is that when we share these things with our friends and family, they understand that it's serious, but people get desensitized to it. People get desensitized to pictures and posts and hospital admissions just become a normal thing, even when they are normal for us. We know the weight that can feel on our shoulders when we are at the hospital randomly, right? It doesn't feel normal in the sense that like that we should be there, but it's normal because we've navigated it before. And when we've navigated situations before, when we are admitted and discharged and admitted and discharged regularly, people tend to think that there's not that much pressure on it. It's not that serious. 
And this can add a layer of frustration. And not everyone is going to recognize that you are facing those difficult things each time you're in the hospital, that you're making tough choices and doing a lot of physical and emotional labor throughout each admission or each appointment or each um, procedure, right? All of these things you're going through, you are making tough choices. You are organizing, scheduling, advocating for your child. And of course, your brain wants to find a way out of it all. It's so normal. It's not a bad thing that your brain wants to organize everything in advance or believes that it could organize and that it should organize all the things in advance. Because if we look at what it is, at the core of it, it's an attempt to feel better and more safe in your current environment. Maybe you don't feel this all the time, but maybe for a hospital stay or an appointment, maybe it's when anniversaries come up for surgeries or diagnosis. These type of situations your brain might be like, oh, this is when we have to get locked and loaded for organizing things in advance, right? All it is, is your brain just wanting to feel more secure in whatever it's about to go through. The good news is you can feel better right now. Your circumstance don't need to change for you to feel differently. And I say that, and sometimes I get pushback on this because they're like, no, I feel bad because my child is in the hospital and I don't, like the hospital makes me feel bad. That's the end of the story. And I'm like, sure, but I could tell you, for you, you might just actually want to feel bad. Sometimes the best, most appropriate thing for your current circumstances is to feel sad, is to feel bad, is to feel upset. When I was driving to the emergency room a few weeks ago for Zola, she had concussion symptoms pretty severely and was super lethargic. I'd never wanted to be more in the hospital than that moment. Like we've rushed her to the emergency room before for coughing and sicknesses or whatever. But in this moment, she was going in and out of consciousness and I was so scared and I just kept thinking I want to be in the hospital I want other people's eyes in front of her I want her to be in an environment where there are more tools and I wanted to be in the hospital the hospital I kept thinking I want to be there and I once I was there I felt relief because I was thinking we're gonna get more help we're going to get more answers. These people are going to help us, right? The hospital is a neutral circumstance and it does not cause feelings. Your thoughts cause your feelings. And I say that and sometimes people get upset because they think that I'm blaming them for feeling sad or mad, but that's not at all what it means. It just means that you should know that sometimes you want to feel bad And when we 
really let ourselves understand this concept that we want to feel bad sometimes, they're like, well, why would we want to feel bad? Of course we don't want to feel bad. No, because feeling bad is normal. None of our emotions are moral, right? When we think emotions have a hierarchy, that positive emotions are better than negative emotions, that's when we start thinking like, oh, I'm not allowed to feel bad. And I want to blame my circumstances for my feelings. I want to blame my husband for my feelings. I want to blame my mother-in-law for my feelings. I want to blame my kids for my feelings, right? Like we look for reasons to justify and validate our feelings because otherwise then we're the creator of our feelings. And then what? What does that make us? When we can blame other people, we're just the victim to our circumstances. But when we take emotional responsibility of our feelings, all of a sudden we have to feel like, oh, we, we are not allowed to admit that we just want to feel bad. Because there's this idea that emotions are moral, that some are just morally superior than others. And that's a load of shit. Crock of shit? I don't know the phrase. <laughs> it's all not true. Sometimes you just want to feel all the feelings that come up when your brain is being a brain, when you are feeling ultra human. Emotions are part of your experience as a human being and being upset, being frustrated, being annoyed, all the things that come up with being in the hospital or at an appointment or just standing in line at the pharmacy, all of those things are allowed. Your job is to ask yourself, is this something that I want to feel? Why or why not? And that's all it is. That's all it is. Too often, when you're judging yourself for how you feel, you get caught up in that shame blame storm. And I used to call it our blame shame BS cycle. Because that's what it is. It's just a lot of BS rolling around in your brain, trying to find reasons to justify how you feel. If I'm happy, I am a good person. If I'm upset, angry, or annoyed, I am bad, right? We get this messaging all over from the time we are really young, even through adulthood. And we see evidence of this all over our society. And I just think it's a testament to how out of touch we are actually with our emotional health. There is a collective feelings issue, and it's not that we have too many feelings. It's just that we don't know how to feel our feelings in a way that's constructive, in a way that's helpful to us and to those around us. We aren't in touch with our feelings, and we're not taking time to manage them, to process the stress of being alive. Just like just the bare minimum of being human and then adding on medical motherhood on top of that. So your job is to recognize when you're feeling those feelings, give yourself permission to experience it while showing up and allow yourself permission to be upset if that's how you want to feel. I talk about this often and sometimes people don't get it and that's fine. But I have gotten really good at allowing myself to just be sad, right? I think a lot of the issues that medical moms face is that they're just sad and they feel like there should be a solution to that. But I think at the end of the day, sometimes you just got to be sad. 
Sometimes I look at my daughter and I think about all the future things that she might face, the, the answers I don't have, the things I cannot organize for in advance. And I just let myself feel sad because sometimes I want to be sad. And this way of being able to give myself permission to feel sad has given me so much freedom and so much confidence and so much more self-trust because I trust myself that I'm not wallowing in self-pity. Sometimes I do sprinkle on some self-pity, but it's more about the fact that I am sad because I can't change the future. I can't predict what will happen. And that's annoying. And it's sad that in life, things like this exist. And that's it. And I am aware that my thoughts are creating my feelings. And I am perfectly okay with that. Because sometimes I want to feel sad. This way, you can organize your future from a place of kindness for your future self, including letting go of the belief that you should be able to organize every piece of the puzzle in advance. For the hospital admissions, for example, each hospital admission is a learning experience, right? It doesn't matter how many times you've been in and out of the hospital, it's just slightly different every time, especially as your family dynamics change, as your family grows, more children are added to the mix, jobs change, where you live might change, like all of those things can be different. Your child's needs are different. Uh, it's much different to go to the hospital with a newborn than a toddler versus a five-year-old, right? Like my daughter who has HLHS is five and it's much different than when she was a year old. So I could not have been able to organize or plan or predict what it was like to be in the hospital with a three or four-year-old versus a two-month-old, right? Like I just couldn't have understood that because I'd never experienced and I could have planned and prepped as much as I could. I could have uh, crowdsourced information, learned from other people, asked questions of my doctor, which I did all of those things. And still, when we went in for her last open heart surgery a year and a half ago, we were still surprised, right? It was still harder and easier in ways that I couldn't have predicted. So consider instead the thought, I can be proactive and flexible as I plan for the future. I can be proactive, meaning you can plan, plan, be thoughtful, be resourceful, use all the tools available to you as you consider the future and plan ahead and be flexible. The more rigid you are in your thinking and your planning, the harder it will be for you to adapt to changes in your circumstances. Being flexible is not like you just saying, all right, we'll just, you know, I don't know. It's not this thing where you have to, I think being flexible is hard because people don't want to be wrong. People don't want to be surprised. And flexibility is 
truly the piece that makes the difference between feeling stuck and being able to move forward. And it just takes your ability to navigate those changes to a more empowered place because you're not saying no, 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 no. You can say no, no, no later, right? I'm not saying that you never have to feel anything about the flexibility, but I do think that the resistance you feel before, like the change is going to happen anyway, I guess is what I'm saying. If you're in the hospital and something changes, for example, right before Zola's Fontan surgery, we had a miscommunication with the hospital. We had just gotten to California with the time changes. I don't remember if I had put it in my calendar wrong or if the, or if I didn't put it in at all, but we had totally misunderstood instructions about her COVID test before she could get her calf. And so we were eating lunch after a long day of appointments and then we were going to go get the COVID test. But the nurse called me 15 minutes after 2 p.m. and said, hey, have you gotten the COVID test? And I said, no, we're going to go after we finish lunch. And she goes, oh, well, it closed at 2. And I was like, why didn't you call me 30 minutes ago? I didn't say that, but the lady was kind of rude. And I was just like, "Um, okay, what are our options? And she's like, she started freaking out. She was like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know what you're going to do. And I was like, hold up. I really, this was the first time where I was able to like in the moment advocate for myself because her panic was not my responsibility. And in my mind, in that split second, I thought, okay, most likely we're not going to be able to do the COVID test. We're going to have to reschedule the calf. And that's all the solution that was like, that's it. And there wasn't going to be anything that we could do about that. We asked, obviously, I tried to see if we could do one in the hospital. We tried to, we ran to the parking lot where they were doing all the COVID tests. They were all packed up. Like it was over. And I thought, okay, the nurse freaked out, called us back and said, yeah, the doctor rescheduled. Everything is pushed back a day. So I said, okay. But the change was going to happen, right? Obviously, it was my mistake. We miscommunicated somehow and we got it changed. But in that moment, the change was already going to happen. And if something is outside your power like that, like the hospital wouldn't do the COVID test in the hospital, it the people were already packed up, we it had to be done by hospital personnel so we couldn't go somewhere else. And I was like, okay, those were all of our options. It's okay. Everything's going to get pushed back a day. We're all right. And if the change is going to happen regardless, and it's coming, a surgery is coming, the procedure is coming, an appointment is coming, being flexible allows yourself to accept things quickly. Quicker, I should say. You might still have a lot of feelings about it. But being able to have the skill of processing those feelings and flexibility will feel like a superpower, truthfully. So consider the thought. I can be proactive and flexible as I plan for the future. All right. Okay. The next part of this scale is two thoughts about 
being able to take action. And if we think about the think, feel, do method, it will help us understand what stops us from taking action when we desperately want to take action. Or when we're doing things that we don't want to be doing, and we know we don't want to be doing this, but we feel helpless or like it's out of our control. For example, perhaps your to-do list includes calling the insurance company or scheduling an appointment or figuring out housing while you're staying at the hospital. But you're thinking the thought, this isn't how it's supposed to be, and I hate it. And then you're feeling scared, right? So this is maybe not as conscious. Maybe you're just kind of thinking in the background, but you're thinking it regardless. And so it's impacting how you're showing up. Our conscious mind if is going to be used when we are taking action. This, our conscious mind is the mind that we're like, oh, I need to you know, make a decision to do something, get up off the couch. Okay. Where our subconscious mind controls all the things that are like subconsciously done, like breathing and, um, things like that. So when a thought is in our background, in our subconscious mind, without bringing awareness to it, it's just kind of on replay and it's a habit, right? It, our brain wants things to be on habit mode because it, saves so much energy for us. And so that's why when you recognize a thought and you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was thinking that. But you're like, wait, if I, I want to change it, but there's like a lot of resistance to it. It's because your brain's like, ah, that's a lot of effort. I don't want to do that. It's so hard for me to consciously think about a thought that's new and maybe even more helpful, but I don't care. So it's okay if you are now coming to a realization of thoughts you might be having about the future, about yourself, about your kid, and you're like, oh my gosh, why, why won't these thoughts just go away now that I know them, that they're there? It's, that's just not how it works. It's okay. So if you're like thinking, oh, I didn't realize he wasn't having that thought. Most of us don't. Most of us are not aware of all the thoughts that are running wild in our subconscious brain. And that's why awareness is the first step, right? We just got to dust off the cobwebs a little bit and be like, hey, what's going on upstairs? Sometimes you might be thinking, this isn't how it's supposed to be and I hate it. And you're feeling scared and a lot of resistance to the future. So you find yourself procrastinating making those phone calls. And all of a sudden you're clean, cleaning random things like a closet that you've never touched in a year. Or you're doing something else that you could convince yourself is productive, like organizing a drawer or maybe you just want to get ahead on your taxes, you know, like something random that you're like, oh yeah, this is still productive. Or maybe you're just scrolling your phone for an hour and you don't even realize that. And then you, all of a sudden you need lunch and then your whole day goes by and you're like, oh, I didn't do a damn thing on my to-do list. And then as a result, you see your day as evidence of your inability to make the phone call. You see this as a sign that your life 
shouldn't be this way and that you're not cut out for it. We see our actions, our brain looks at our behavior and our brain looks at our past to predict what we are able to do in the future. Our brain looks at the past to predict the future, which is a terrible way of doing things because that's not how the future is created, (laughs) right? Like if we only looked at the past to see what humans could do, we would never have any kind of advancements because something is always impossible until it's done. And so our brain will do this for us and we'll just use like the last few days the last year and be like, oh yeah, we haven't exercised in a year. So we're definitely not going to be able to exercise again, obviously. Oh, you didn't make that phone call or clean out your suitcase. So you're definitely not cut out for all of this hard work as a medical mom. This is stored as evidence and your brain will use that every time it can to prevent you from doing it. It wants to show you that it's right because your brain loves being right and it loves saving that energy. And this continues to make it harder on yourself because then you're like feeling guilt and shame for not making those phone calls and guilt and shame for not being the right type of person for your child or for adulthood you're beating yourself up. Maybe you're not very kind to yourself. Like you're saying things like, oh my gosh, if you just could get better at this, if you could just stop being um, so lazy, if you could have just focused, if you should have just figured your life out, if you could have just had that closet cleaned a year ago, you wouldn't have been distracted. You're a mess, right? Then all of the things, our insecurities are magnified by whatever challenging circumstance we're going through. So all of the things that you already believe are flaws about yourself, you will notice 10 times more. So you're noticing all these flaws, which might not even be flaws in the first place, but your brain considers them. You're looking at all this evidence and you feel a lot of guilt. You feel shame. You feel so much frustration with yourself. You're angry. And that's just like your feelings after the day, right? At the end of the day, when you didn't make those phone calls. And it's not because you didn't make the phone calls. It's because of your thoughts about making the phone calls and your belief that you should have made them. And that if you didn't, you were a bad mom or bad person. And then underneath that, you're feeling scared because You don't believe this is how your life should be. So there's two different models going on that think, feel, do method. There's two different think, feel, do's happening. And it's creating a lot of negative emotion inside of you. And if you don't have the tools to recognize those things, when your husband asks, hey, did you happen to make those phone calls today? You immediately snap. No, because I was busy and I cleaned a bunch of stuff and you know, you get, you're so defensive and then you're feeling really disconnected from your spouse. You're on the defense. Then you might, all of the insecurities that you have in your relationship start coming up. He always nags at me. Why didn't he make the phone calls? I 
and you know, like any kind of thing that is coming up in your relationship, all of a sudden you're feeling those things and that is running another model in your brain. And now you're, you're feeling disconnection and you're like, great. Now me and my husband are not on the same page. And when you truly deep down want support from them, like if anything, you wanted to be like, no, I'm actually having a horrible day and I'm really sad and I could use a hug or a a venting session or whatever. But you don't say that because that adds another layer of vulnerability. And instead of communicating your feelings, you're not in a place to do so. Or if you try to do it, your partner might not be in a space to receive it because of the way you're communicating, right? Defensively, maybe you're snapping, maybe the insecurities in your relationship are being magnified. So you're bringing up past things about, well, you could have called and why did I have to be the one to call, right? Like, so now a bunch of stuff is getting brought up and now you're arguing about a fight you had last week about where to go for dinner and date night. And all of a sudden it's like, you're arguing about, you don't spend enough time together right? So now that's gone off the rails. (laughs) And you're showing up in a way that you don't like. You're like, this is not how I wanted this day to go. This is not how I wanted to talk to my husband. This is not how I wanted to talk to myself. And now you're so overwhelmed. You don't do anything at all. You don't apologize to your spouse or to yourself. You're so frustrated you completely disregard the phone calls. You're like, I'm not doing that tomorrow either. I'm just so over it. And then you feel so frozen and stuck. This is a pattern I found myself in over and over, right? Like I only know this so intimately because this is like what my brain did so often was get so overwhelmed, feel stuck, procrastinate something until it was like I desperately had to do it. I would do so many productive things in one day, but I would feel so depleted at the end of the day. I'd feel really defensive. I'd feel really snappy. I'd feel unsupported. And it wasn't because of what Jeff was doing or not doing. It was because I was not being able to regulate myself, understand my emotions. I did not have the awareness I needed of my thoughts or my feelings. I didn't know how to apologize. I didn't know how to own my own emotional responses. I couldn't understand why I felt so stuck and dysregulated and unable to shift through those things because I never knew how to look at the root cause of my behavior, which is my thinking. Our thoughts are so powerful. And if we disregard them as just what our brain gives us as facts, we will always feel that powerless stuckness. The important thing to note with this is that your worthiness is not founded in what you do or don't do. It's not founded in how much you do or how much you get done during the day. And I know so many moms, especially stay-at-home moms or even work-from-home moms, base their goodness on how much they've accomplished in the day. And it's not founded in that at all. It's not founded in how little or how much you procrastinate. But when you believe it does, when you place your worth on how much you get done, you constantly feel like you have to prove yourself to your spouse or to yourself or to others online or to the world in general. 
And this puts you in a really shitty position because you'll always lose. Because there is always more that you could do. Always. It doesn't matter. Like, oh, you cleaned your whole house. Well, your brain's there to tell you, well, you didn't finish that one craft project. You didn't hang up your pictures on the wall. You didn't do those baby scrapbook things that you've been telling yourself you'll do. Now what? Your brain will always, always find more things for you to do. And if you base your worthiness on anything outside of yourself, you'll always lose because it will always be up for grabs. Meaning, if you're basing your worth on what other people think of you, always up for grabs. Your worth is ever-changing because people are fickle. If your worth is based off your weight, our weight literally changes every single day. Your worth is always fluctuating then. If your worth is based off of how short or tall you are, if your worth is based off of um, how much laundry you get done, right? Like it just... It just is always going to be a fluctuating place and you will feel so graspy. You will feel so desperate for wanting to control those things around you so that you will act weird around people because you want them to like you so that your worth stays in place. You will feel super bad about your body regardless of how much it weighs because you will feel like that is how you can control your worthiness. The truth is that your worth is absolutely 100% set in stone. You are 100% worthy just as you are. Your worth is inherent. Nothing and no one can take away your worthiness. You are worthy of kindness and respect, and consideration, and love. And the very first person that should continuously give those things to you is yourself. Too often, this idea is misconstrued as permissive, right? When I teach my clients this, I'll be like, all right, it starts with you. (laughs) Your self-love is the most important love. They're always like, oh, cool. Um, but then I would do nothing and I would sit on the ta- on the couch and be a potato. If I love myself, if I'm kind to myself, I'll just never be motivated to do anything or take care of my family or be productive or go to work. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know where we got this idea from, truthfully, because I also thought this like it's not that like I was the exception, but it's so crazy because obviously even on a societal level this is true because not only have I also believed this but because so many of my clients like we all have had this collective belief of this way of operating that we're so afraid if we love ourselves that we're just going to like forget how to operate in the world forget how to be responsible and productive And I just think it's crazy that we think that the best way to motivate ourselves is by withholding love. The best way to get ourselves to be more responsible and more patient and 
you know, more productive is by withholding love until we do those things. And then we come into the problem that when we don't do those things, we're like, oh, we're just undeserving of love. And it's this ever chasing cycle where we're constantly trying to find ways to justify loving ourselves. You might be afraid that loving yourself will be the ultimate permission to be lazy, but it's not. First, I don't really even believe in such a thing as laziness because anything positive regarding rest is considered lazy. Like taking a nap, lazy, sleeping in, lazy. Like it's our hyperproductive society is not ready for understanding that laziness doesn't exist. However, loving yourself Truly loving yourself means caring for your well-being. Understanding that you are worth thinking about, worth understanding, worth getting your needs met, worth getting dressed for every day, worth showering for regularly, asking for help, taking breaks, feeding yourself, hydrating yourself, moving your body, all of those things are necessary for you to not only just survive, but to be truly loved and cared for. Loving yourself understands that you are worth effort and energy. This is why one of the pillars in my coaching program is self-belief, because that is what I do with my clients. We work really hard on building a foundation of worthiness and love so that you can operate from that space as your home base. Like, it's just set in stone. Like, that's the foundation. And if you could believe that you are 100% worthy as you are, regardless of what you did, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of what you weigh, regardless of what any outside factors your brain wants to convince you are is indicating your worthiness, then what? How would you show up? What would you do? If no one and nothing could take that worthiness away. We can understand then, in a loving way, why we might be doing the things we do and how we're judging ourselves for when we don't do things that we want to do. You don't have to feel guilty And you don't have to feel bad when you are beginning to come aware of your habits or your actions. Those are simply options available to you, but there are a lot of other options available to you as well. When we start becoming more aware of our thoughts and feelings and behavior, the instinct is to be like, holy shit, why am I so mean to myself? How did I believe that this thought was so true for so long? Like your brain wants to immediately come in to judge yourself, but you're not being forced to feel guilty. You're not being forced to feel bad. It's literally not something you have to do. Feeling guilty for the past 
or feeling bad for your current set of behaviors is not your only option. And I keep reiterating this because you will automatically feel this way. It's just like something our brain does. But I really want to reiterate that. As soon as you recognize that you're feeling bad or judging yourself or feeling guilty, you're just like, oh yeah, this is just that automatic guilt pattern of behavior. And you can have the option to just look at yourself lovingly, curiously, with fascination and interest and say, hey, I want to look at my choices and my behavior and I want to see what is working in this situation and what is not working in the situation. And after I've looked at these things, I want to see what should I do differently? What do I want to do differently based off the information I have now? All of this is leading to the two thoughts, the last two thought statements on this uncertainty scale. And I did this preface because the next two statements are based on actions. So here are the next two statements. When it's time to act, uncertainty paralyzes me. And the smallest doubt can stop me from acting. So let's consider the first one. When it's time to act, uncertainty paralyzes me. To me, in more layman's terms, this more shows up like when I have a deadline or a specific time I am responsible for showing up, I feel uncertain and I become frozen. Anytime a client describes feeling frozen, stuck, paralyzed, or anything like that, I see this as a nervous system regulation issue. Your nervous system, which sends signals from your brain to your body, is set in a freeze mode where you are on high alert and you feel incapable of handling what's in front of you. And this is common to feel before a surgery, after a hospital stay, before birth, any time where you're in a place where you've experienced a lot of intense emotions with very little ability to regulate or cope with those sensations. And again, this response is not moral. It's not a defect. It's not a flaw. Your brain is just doing what brains do. It's a protective response to help you. Once you recognize that you're feeling this way, you can then try to understand why. I have found that offering yourself a lot of compassion and comfort first Literally sometimes speaking out loud to yourself or even in your mind is the best course of action to take when you're in this freeze response. Because part of the freeze response is trying to figure out your next move and you feel paralyzed because you feel like ultimately you don't have a good option to choose. You feel like you have to find the perfect, exact, most right way to respond. And every option terrifies you because in this place where you feel so much pressure to act exactly right, that pressure can become debilitating and it can make you feel like you can't do, if you can't do it right, then you shouldn't do it at all. And then your brain uses that as evidence to show you that you should not act again when you're feeling stuck again or in a different scenario or continuously says, yeah, yesterday, remember how you could not act, you couldn't make a choice, you felt so stuck and overwhelmed. 
Yeah, it just means that you can't do it again. So we're just going to stay stuck, right? That cycle of using that our behavior as evidence against us will continue. Thus, putting you and keeping you in that place of rigidity where nothing you do is correct. And then that shame and blame comes. And then that spiraling comes, right? It just feeds right back into that loop. So the good news is that when you start with understanding, when you give yourself so much love and you're able to understand yourself, like understanding isn't just like placating yourself, but it's truly being able to say, yeah, I see you. I understand why you're behaving this way. This sometimes can be considered like a reparenting technique because this is what you have to do with kids. They need to understand that you understand them. They need to be feel seen, right? That they know that you know they're not bad kids. They're just responding to their emotions and they don't have the proper tools to regulate those emotions. And it's just like you. You are afraid or scared or having a lot of tough emotions that you don't know how to respond to. And so when we lean into understanding and you really give yourself that understanding truthfully and you're like, I get why you're scared, how you feel is valid, it's so understandable why you feel so paralyzed, you can also bring yourself down from that heightened state so that you are taking away some of that pressure and you can validate yourself and Truthfully, I really do believe that in those moments where we make decisions where they were stupid or mistakes or they had serious consequences in our lives, like we had a good reason for it. Good as in maybe not like morally good, but compelling, right? Like in that moment, we were convinced this is what the best decision was for us. Whether it was truly the best decision or not, it was compelling enough to make us act, and therefore a good reason. So when we can look at our past choices with compassion, it will be easier to continuously give that compassion to us now. And it's a habit to practice. When we are feeling really overwhelmed, the last thing we need to do is add more shame, more blame, more self-loathing, more, you know, just beating ourselves up. So after leaning into compassion, which takes away that pressure and allows you to make decisions imperfectly, you're able to act. And here's the thing. This is your only option, my friends, to act imperfectly. There is no other way to go about life. I know it's unfortunate. Even the most respected surgeons make mistakes. Literally, Every surgeon is not perfect, and yet they are like world-renowned. Obviously, they're really good at their jobs, but I'm just saying that even the most well-educated people, even the most trained people are only operating within a realm of statistics, right? Like everyone on earth is only capable of taking imperfect action. When you come to terms with this, and allow yourself to escape that ever-losing game of perfectionism, you take away another added layer of pressure off yourself. 
You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know what to do every time in every situation. The other piece to when you're feeling stuck and paralyzed is rest. Your nervous system needs rest to recover and sleeping helps you regulate your emotions. Sleep is directly correlated with moods and mood regulation. So if you're not getting sleep, you need to prioritize that piece in your support system. I'm going to have a podcast episode on it in a few weeks of creating a support system for yourself and also a guest episode with a pediatric sleep consultant that will help you understand more tips and tricks on a sleep routine with your child. But truly one of the best, most loving things you can do for yourself is to prioritize sleep so that when you're feeling paralyzed or really stuck, you know what you need to do. Prioritize rest, make sure you're giving yourself a bedtime and give yourself permission to act imperfectly because all you can do is show up the best you can with what you know now and that is enough. When I feel a lot of pressure to show up in a very specific way, I can be compassionate to myself and know that imperfect action is 100% enough. I'm going to repeat that thought. When I feel a lot of pressure to show up in a specific way, I can be compassionate to myself and know that imperfect action is 100% enough. Isn't that such a beautiful thought? Okay, the next thought on the scale, the last one, is the smallest doubt can stop me from acting. So what is doubt? Let's start with that. Because part of understanding your brain and deconstructing your thoughts is questioning them right? We want to be able to define things because you will be so surprised how often your brain throws these words out that are so vague and you're like, yeah, I know what that means. But then it's like, actually, you have no actual real definition for them. So a doubt is a thought, a sentence in your mind. And this makes perfect sense if you're thinking something like, I don't think this is going to go well. That's a doubt. I don't think I'm good enough or capable at executing this. Doubt. Or sometimes our doubts actually just come in a question form. So you might be just rapidly asking yourself a bunch of questions. What if I can't handle this next phase? What if I'm not smart enough to understand my child's care? What if it's all too much? All of these create doubt as an emotion. And when you feel emotion, such as doubt, they will... It can prevent you from taking action that you want or taking action in a way that feels stress. I remember when we first got out of the hospital um, with Zola's G-tube, I was so stressed out about it. Like it really caused me so much anxiety because I kept having so much self-doubt, right? The G-tube itself did not cause me those emotions, 
But the thoughts I was having around it and my part in taking responsibility for the care of it did. And I had so much self-doubt. And one day I remember thinking, oh my gosh, the G-tube is a neutral circumstance. And it actually is a really helpful tool and saved Zola's life and allowed us to be discharged. And I didn't fall in love with the G-tube, but it did shift how I thought about it. And it shifted how I thought about myself. And it helped me see that doubts are thoughts, not facts. And when you show up from a place of doubt, you show up stressed and frantic. You procrastinate things. You make it harder on yourself. Like I was not doing any of the things I knew in terms of like organizing the G-tube supplies, being proactive and doing things ahead of time or setting things up that allowed me to be more confident in handling the G-tube. I was just like frantically doing it until I recognized that it was a neutral circumstance and that my thoughts were creating my experience. When we truly grasp this concept, when we can see an example in our lives that we are creating our reality from our thinking, you are able to see the power that you have. You are able to switch from feeling helpless to empowered. And that is my my goal as a coach. That's why I keep showing up on my podcast and on Instagram is I want more people to know and feel that empowered place of medical motherhood. When you think something, it doesn't make it true. Just because your brain offers it to you doesn't mean you have to eat it. If you have a thought like this, you can consider it and let it go like a cloud. That's one of my favorite visuals is that your your brain is a sky and a thought is a cloud and it can just float on by. You don't have to pay any attention to it. You don't have to give it a bunch of stock. You don't have to, you can just take it with a grain of salt, move on. Or, I mean, I do this with my, my clients. Um, we answer the questions your brain offers you because sometimes your brain will be like, what if you're not smart enough to take care of your kid's G-tube? Then what? And you just think that's the answer. Because truthfully, a question is just a thought in disguise. Like, you're you're not smart enough to do this. That's what your brain is actually saying. That's the thought behind the question. And then you pose it as a question and you're like, oh, I don't want to answer that question because then what if, I, what if it's true and I'm not smart? Right? Like, then you just get in this place of like, I have to admit to myself that I don't think I'm smart. And I don't want to admit that. So I'm just going to let the question be the thought and feel really sad and scared. Um, so instead, we're going to look at that question. And there are many ways we can answer this question. But let's just take it at face value, right? Like, let's just assume we're just going to answer this question. What if you're not smart enough to understand your child's care right now? What would you do then? You would learn how to do it, right? Like, that's the answer. It's like a second grader asking, what if I'm not smart enough to do third grade math? And you would say to that second grader, oh, you would just learn it. You just learn as you go. Another way to consider this question and break it down is by looking at the thought behind the question. Um, and right, right, we're going to go back to questioning every assumption that you make 
in that thought and define anything that's vague. Like what does even smart mean? How do we even measure that? How are you measuring smartness as an adult? Does your high school grades indicate how smart you are for right now in terms of taking care of your child's medical needs? Does your current job indicate how smart you are? No, of course not. We have all met super smart people who are also not smart in certain ways. We have, I know, super educated people who don't understand things about Zola's condition. I know people who don't have a college degree and who are incredibly well-educated, incredibly smart people. So when we look at the questions and thoughts our brain offers, we have to dissect it. We have to get really curious and understand what is it that our brain is actually saying here? What is the fear? And when you practice this, thoughts don't become scary. Thoughts become a treasure trove of like beliefs that you're like, oh, I had no idea I had absorbed this idea at some point in my life. And you can like dig into it and be like, oh, yeah, I don't want to believe this actually at all. I had no idea that I was thinking this, but good thing I found this. I'm so smart. (laughs) Right? Like you can find evidence for whatever you put your energy in. If you want to find evidence because your brain's like, what if you're not smart enough to do this? You will find it. You will look at all the ways you're not smart. Oh, I failed this class. I didn't go to this college I wanted. I, for me, I took years to graduate with my degree, blah, 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 blah. Like you could just list all kinds of things. Or you could look at all the ways you are incredibly intelligent, all the ways you've been able to navigate life with smart decision-making skills, with um, the ability to correct mistakes. That's a smart thing to do, right? There are so many ways that you can start pointing out what's smart. Like, oh my gosh, I just became aware of this thought I was having. I'm so smart, right? Maybe it's switching your language and responding to yourself when you make a mistake, like slamming your car door on your fingers or spilling eggs or uh, forgetting your phone at home. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm so dumb. Maybe you say, I'm so silly. Like, oh, there goes my brain. It's doing a brain fart. Right? Like subtle ways to help yourself not build evidence against yourself. This is how you can battle and totally not make self-doubt so much of a big issue. Then you can have way much a greater understanding of how to redirect your brain in a way that serves you, in a way that is helpful. So that's not even about being smart, but it becomes something else like, hey, I'm willing to learn what's necessary for my child's care. Think about the difference that sentence can make in your body when you hear the difference between those two thoughts. The first one, I'm not smart enough to manage my child's care. Panic, lack of confidence, franticness, because you still have that child that you don't believe you're smart enough to take care of. Then you redirect it to, I am willing to learn what's necessary for my child's care. 
huge difference in my body. It literally is so relieving. It feels so open and so empowering. So when it comes to doubt and not being able to act, you can offer yourself this. My doubts mean nothing about my actual abilities. Because that's the truth. Your doubts are not an indication of what you're truly capable of. Isn't that amazing? That just because we think something, it doesn't actually mean it's the truth. It doesn't actually mean that it's like logical or the reality of the situation. It's not an indication of your actual skills or abilities. That's the truth, my friends. The future is unknown. It's meant to be unknown. There is no way around that. And as we expect that truth, as we expect the future to be unknown, you will stop arguing with it. You use the energy that you once spent arguing with it to focus on yourself in terms of how you show up, how you regulate your emotions, and how you create the life you want to build. Because that's what we're doing in these moments. We are creating the life our future self experiences by the skills we build right now. It doesn't take rocket science or magic spells. You simply need a bit of effort on your end and the willingness to show up. Which is why coaching is the best thing to use on your brain. To build the skills necessary to understand yourself and to create more confidence as you navigate medical motherhood in an empowered way. All right, my friends, I will see you next time. Bye-bye. Welcome to Mindset for Medical Moms. I'm your host, Courtney Given, fellow medical mom and life coach. I'm here to help you handle everything from doctor's appointments to surgery so you can feel confidence and peace as you navigate the ups and downs of medical motherhood. This podcast will share strategies and real life tools to strengthen your mindset and increase your emotional resilience. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Thank you.